This week, the lectionary breaks from the Gospel of Matthew and takes us to the Gospel of John for a four-week journey through four very well-known and well-loved encounters with Jesus. Today, we're covering perhaps the most famous verse in the Bible, at least for the past few decades here in the United States. If you watch sports at all, you know that John 3.16 gets thrown around all the time, Um, but The verse is typically used, it's typically referenced, without reference to its context. To be fair, though, if you're holding up a sign in the back of the end zone, you have to be brief. But, to be sure, John 3.16 does have a context, and we'll be looking at the context today. Let's see what there is to see. Verse 1. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So three things to notice right off the bat. First, Nicodemus is a Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. He is a distinguished teacher and a respected religious leader. Nicodemus was a member of the elite. Second, Nicodemus calls Jesus rabbi. Nicodemus is a teacher, but he has come to be taught. And I think we should assume that he is coming to Jesus because he is genuinely interested. He can see that there's something special going on here. However, the third thing to notice is that Nicodemus comes at night. He is both literally and metaphorically coming to Jesus in the dark. Nicodemus doesn't want others to see him talking to Jesus, and so he comes in the dark. But he's also in the dark in the sense that he does not yet understand what Jesus is trying to communicate. And I say yet, not yet, Because I believe Nicodemus does come to understand this eventually. Now, this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is really confusing. Um, So before we keep reading, let me me lay some groundwork for us. In John chapter 3, Jesus talks about being born again. And we need to recognize that as American Christians... This phrase comes with cultural and political baggage. For instance, during the 1976 presidential campaign, Jimmy Carter described himself as a born-again Christian in an interview with Playboy magazine. And four years later, 1980, each major candidate for president self-described as born-again. And even today, when a person identifies as a born-again Christian, we're just as likely to make political assumptions about that person as we are to make religious assumptions about that person. So we need to try and and set all of that aside for a bit. We, We also need to try to set aside our preconceived ideas as to what Jesus might mean here. We need as much as possible to, to try and hear him for the first time. Verse 3, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, could also be translated as born from above, 
born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. So we, we cannot really blame Nicodemus for being confused here. What in the world is Jesus saying? What is he talking about? We're not going to have time to, to cover every detail here, but hopefully we can communicate the basic idea. First of all, let's remember that both Jesus and Nicodemus were born into a religious tradition that placed a lot of emphasis on being born within the right family. A person's lineage was very important. People wanted especially to be able to trace their lineage back to Abraham, which is why I think uh, the lectionary readings today featured that, especially Genesis chapter 12. In Genesis 12, God makes promises to Abraham and to Abraham's offspring. And so naturally, people want to know that they are counted among the offspring of Abraham. That was a big deal. So when Jesus refers to a new birth or a birth from above, he's indicating that God is doing something new. God is doing a new thing. Our earthly birth is significant obviously, but our birth from above is what matters more than anything else. And the Gospel of John actually introduced this idea back in chapter 1. The true light, it says, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Remember, Nicodemus came to Jesus in the dark. The true light was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, that is, he came to the Jews, he came to Nicodemus, and his people did not, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So what matters more than being Abraham's offspring is being God's offspring, being born of God. Jesus is explicitly expanding the boundaries of the kingdom. Those who belong to the kingdom of God are not merely born of blood. They are not merely born of the flesh. They are born of God. Or as Jesus says in chapter 3, born of the Spirit. Now, as, as we hear that, most American Christians are prone to start thinking about individual spiritual conversions, born-again experiences, if you will. And, and we're not entirely wrong to apply this passage to individual conversion, but I think there's something much bigger and much broader going on here. Paul's epistle to the Colossians and then the book of Revelation both refer to Jesus as the firstborn from the dead. The firstborn from the dead. 
That is, when Jesus was resurrected, he was born again. In the gospel accounts of the resurrection, especially the gospel of Luke, uh, the imagery strongly suggests a rebirth. The resurrection imagery suggests a rebirth. The tomb is like a womb. And Jesus emerges from that tomb as the firstborn from the dead. He first appears to a group of women who serve as midwives to this new birth. And then they run and go tell the men. The resurrection of Christ was the new birth. It was the new birth. And so Jesus is not primarily talking about a private thing that happens inside our souls. He's talking about an actual redemptive event that will take place in the course of human history. And so being born again is not so much a subjective individual spiritual experience. To be born again is to be united to the death and resurrection of Jesus. To be born again is to be united to that firstborn from the dead. First Peter says that God causes us to be born again through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The new birth was first and foremost a historical event. So Jesus has come to lead the people of God, including Nicodemus, through a new birth, through death and resurrection, and into a whole new kingdom. And Nicodemus says, verse 9, how can these things be? And Jesus answered him, are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you, you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can, I, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Again, it's like Jesus is being intentionally confusing. But listen, he's not being mean or condescending to Nicodemus. Any person of Nicodemus's pedigree would have, had, would have already had a framework for what Jesus is talking about here. There had already been a series of new births throughout the history of Israel. The Exodus was a new birth. Their return from exile was a new birth. And in each of those cases, the people of God were reborn into something much better and much more expansive. So Nicodemus says, how can these things be? And Jesus says, you already know, Nicodemus. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And this was messianic code for I'm going to have to die, Nicodemus. You see, Jesus is referring here to a brief, obscure story from the Old Testament book of Numbers. The people of Israel were plagued by poisonous snakes 
and many of them were dying. And so God instructed Moses to fashion a bronze serpent and to lift it up on a pole. And whenever an Israelite was bitten by a snake, they could lift up their eyes to that bronze serpent and be healed. And now Jesus is identifying himself with the bronze serpent. I am the bronze serpent. He's saying, I'm going to be lifted up. And everyone who looks to me for healing will find healing. Nicodemus disappears from the narrative at this point. We'll see him later on in the Gospel of John. Um, But he disappears. I suspect, though, that this image of Jesus being lifted up stuck with him. As we learn in John chapter 19, Nicodemus was there at the crucifixion of Christ. Nicodemus saw Jesus get lifted up. In chapter 3, Nicodemus is in the dark, but in chapter 19, Nicodemus purchases 75 pounds of myrrh and aloe to prepare the body of Christ for burial. That was the equivalent of about $200,000. Nicodemus saw Jesus hanging on the cross, and in that moment, he was healed. In that moment, he understood the manner in which God loved the world. And so we've come to the context for John 3.16. God so loved the world, that is, God loved the world in such a way that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. According to Jesus, we all need to be born again. We all need to be born from above. We all need to be united to the resurrection of Christ. But before Jesus could be the firstborn from the dead, what had to happen? Before he could be the firstborn from the dead, he had to be dead. He had to die. And that is what God's love looked like. The death of Christ upon the cross was the fullness of God's love for the world on display. Like the snake-bitten Israelites, the world was as good as dead. We were all snake-bitten. We all had the venom of sin running through our veins. And we were dying. But the good news of the gospel is that the world can live. You can live because Jesus is more powerful than the serpent. You can lift up your eyes to Christ upon the cross. You can believe and be healed. You can look to him and live. Having said that, I I really do think it's important that we recalibrate a bit our understanding of what it means to be born again. Not only because of the the cultural and political baggage, but because we tend to try and fit every conversion story into a born-again mold. Some people come to faith in dramatic ways. Some people come to faith in gradual ways. 
Some people grow up never knowing a day that they didn't believe. And each of those stories is valid. Next week, we'll see an example of a woman who comes to faith in Jesus and immediately demonstrates radical fervor. She tells everyone she knows. She runs to the town and she tells everyone she knows. But that was not Nicodemus's story. And if that's not your story, that's okay. If you come to Jesus timidly, that's okay. If you come to Jesus in the dark, that's okay. If you come to Jesus despite your questions, that is okay. Because the important thing is that you come to him. He's not intimidated by your questions. Although, like Nicodemus, he may not answer your questions the way you want him to. He may answer the question beneath your question, or he may respond to your question with some questions. But regardless, he's very patient. Jesus is willing to wait for John chapter 19 to happen in your life. No matter your story, no matter where you are on your journey of faith, the call today is is the same for each of us. Look to the cross. Whether for the first time or the thousandth time, look to Christ lifted up and see the love of God for you. If you're caught in sin, look to Christ upon the cross. If you have doubts or questions, Look to Christ upon the cross. If you're trodden down by the weight of the world, look to Christ upon the cross. If you fear death, look to Christ upon the cross. If you're living with guilt or shame or insecurity or loneliness, look to Christ upon the cross. Through his death and resurrection, we are born again. And so lift up your eyes to him and live. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, it is a wonderful privilege to be counted among your offspring. Thank you for welcoming us into your family. Jesus, you are the firstborn from the dead, and we we lift up our eyes to you for healing and for new life, for new birth. We thank you for being lifted up for our sake. Holy Spirit, when we wander, when we sin, when we doubt, when we are in the dark, lead us to the cross and show us again the love of God for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.